You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I've been commenting on our attire uh, recently to start our episodes, and I'm still wearing my very curved build baseball cap till death do us part. Um, But we rarely wear hoodies on this, and both of us are wearing hoodies today. And I've never seen that one on you. It's a new one for me. And so is this. I've never worn this for our recording ever. What's going on? This is a, a hoodie that I got in Sweden. It's mm. Marin's Basketball Club, Luleå Basket. Very fancy. We're, got it at the game. Represent. May 1st, new month, new you sort of thing. Fresh start, spring has sprung. It's got this weird pocket system. It's not the normal pass-through hoodie pocket. It's individual pockets on either side. But they are, and you know, I don't have the biggest hands in the world. I can't even fit my full palm into there. So you can't fit a phone or anything into the pockets. And they they aren't really angled, so you wouldn't put car keys or anything of value in there. So they're pretty much only for keeping your knuckles warm when you walk. Interesting. Yeah, your hand size in correlation to your obstacle ability is still a mystery to me. Uh, It speaks to your athleticism. It really does. I think it's a... They generate more power because there's less surface area. It's all directed into one specific spot. That's true. We did grip testing at the Spartan Combine, and I had top two or three grip pressure. Like crush strength. But in terms of endurance, crush strength, mm-hmm. it, was, it was top, I think, second in my left hand and like fourth in my right hand. And then uh, the endurance is not spectacular at all. In fact, it's probably below average. <laughs> I, don't I think mine is below average too on the endurance front. But when you go to like a new chiropractor or something and they'll do like a full evaluation, they'll often give you the uh, gripper. I don't know if you've experienced this because I've seen a lot of health mm. professionals. They just want to see if there's no. any weakness on one side that's notable, which could be neurological, obviously, with impingements and such. And I'm like, give me that grip thing. Let me show you. Let me show you that grip thing. And I always wait for them to stroke yeah. my and I always wait for them to like stroke, stroke my ego, and they're like, "Oh, that's a good score." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know." And they're like, "Yeah, but this dude, this construction guy that came in last week, was like 20 pounds of pressure more." And I'm yeah. like, "Oh, my heart!" I always think of hand it back. Hand it back. Let me get you out of that again. Crush strength. Been there a couple of times. But my left hand has better grip strength than my right hmm. because I have a non-functioning finger on my right hand, so it doesn't. It doesn't give any force. Well, now there's two things I want to say. The first thing is in regards to what you just said, actually, about um, this, your left hand having, you're right-handed, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, You'll often see this discrepancy, and I'm just like shoving this down your throats as a listener here, because it's something most people don't know. And it's like, uh, I use the example, if you're going to shovel your driveway, and you're going to grab the shovel to shovel snow, how are you going to grab that shovel, Bracken? I think we talked about this once before on here. Well, naturally, I don't know if we did. Naturally, I'm a my power hand is on the top and my left is down low. But I'm also one of those people that I really enjoy working my off hand. So I do 
on each side. I switch off as I shovel. Will you stop complicating things? For my point. That's just who I am, Kirk. I practice eating lefty. I practice brushing lefty. I do a lot of lefty work because I like that concept. Listen, I'm fully right-handed, but I shoot a basketball left-handed, <laughs> and it shows. And I don't know how that started really? or where. I do. It's bizarre. Um, but point being is this. If you're going to grab a shovel, a snow shovel, a digging shovel, anything else that you can think of, this is just an, a rake, whatever. You're going to grab the sh- – if you're right-handed, you're going to grab the lower part of the handle with your left hand, and you're going to guide the shovel with your right hand. So in that scenario, your right hand is doing the fine motor skills, and your left hand is doing the grunt work, more, more or less. And we replicate that in most of our lives. Our dominant side does the finite movements, and our non-dominant side does the grunt work type of movements. You'll pick up a box and support it with your left arm and guide it with your right, for example. And so often in the gym, I see people, and they're like, I'm right-handed. I don't understand why my left arm is stronger. I can move more. Move. It's my This side's failing first. And like three out of four people, you will see that with it's like foolproof. Their non-dominant side actually can move more weight often because especially ones who don't exercise um, regularly, they have even bigger discrepancies. And they're like, I'm right-handed. I don't get it. And I'll be like, well, this is exactly why you haven't fixed those imbalances because life has led you to actually have a weaker um, preferred side. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. I never, I never knew that. Never thought of that. I dislocated a, my right finger in elementary school, which in severed a tendon. That's why that my right ring finger doesn't work from the second knuckle down. Uh, so I did a lot lefty there and then I broke my right arm and, uh, did everything lefty for a while. And then I was always fascinated with people who are ambidextrous and I wasn't, but I wanted to be. So I just did a lot of lefty stuff. And then I feel like when I get too right-handed, too one-side dominant, that's when I start to see back and shoulder stuff. So I try to always really balance it out. But that feeling of being helpless with the finger or the arm and having to do everything lefty, I thought, I got to get ahead of this. I'm going to keep getting hurt in my life. You know what? Now this all actually – I know you're not lying to me. I'm not trying to sound cool or be like, you're I focus. No. no, you're not because I remember when we had first met and we were like on the ways to becoming besties, we – you had made a trip to Minnesota mostly to visit Mike Ferguson. I feel like I was a by the way and had a training weekend. And we went back to the backyard the of the Perry's. We went to the Perry's house, correct. And we threw the spear and we were just dicking around, launching spears at 30 yards, doing stupid stuff. And then you're like, okay, now to finish up the session, we're all throwing with our left hands. Like just in case your right arm goes out or whatever. Like you put that into practice the one time we've thrown spears together. Mm-hmm. And it was abysmal on my end. And you were decent at it. So I believe you. That's all. Yeah. And, and I think that's probably from like basketball. There's always that thing. Like what if you get fouled and you break your right arm, but you have to hit the foul shots. So you got to be able to shoot free throws offhand. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of carried into everything. Lisa always like, are you eating left-handed today? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm trying it out today. <laughs> she, she always thinks it's a weird thing to do or I'll brush my teeth and I'm significantly slower with my left hand, but there's people all over the world that lose their dominant side. Yeah. It takes years to get good at the other thing. I'm just trying to get ahead of it. The end of that toothbrush ends up in your nostril or something. You're like, ah, it's just it's part of the learning yeah. curve. Uh-huh. It's way down my throat. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, uh, the other thing I wanted to touch on, we were talking about shirts and our different apparel today. Uh, we have such limited quantities of shirts left. There is a handful of popular sizes. Like I think one color has a few mediums left. If you forgot to order shirts, but you want, get 
uh, your order in like this week because they're going to all be gone. And I still have a handful of extra smalls that you need to DM me about either email or Instagram. I got a few a few left in each color, an extra small. But if you're thinking ordering shirts, get them done now because there's very few left in most. And most, like some of the colors are sold out across the board, but there's a few left. Go look, therunningpublic.com, click store, click buy. Get those things out of my house. Yeah, these sirens going off? You can't miss them. I've had an active weekend here in Milwaukee. Yeah. Weather's out, so are the criminals, I guess. All right. We... Should we jump right? Should we jump right into today? Should we we get right to business? Yeah. You have any noteworthy happenings over your weekend, running wise? You do a long run or anything, or were you you still easing back into it? Um. Yeah, I was capping myself at four and a half hours of running my first two weeks back, and I did a ninety minute long run on the ski hill. Didn't run down ter- downhill terribly hard, but enough where like my hips are really sore. Like downhill running uh, cannot be, you Mm. can't make up for lack of downhill running without running downhills, like to perfection. I've been on my strength work. I've done hip work. I'm squatting heavy. I'm doing the, all that, but it doesn't matter. You open her up downhill a couple of times and your hips will be sore. And then you will be rendered somewhat useless for a few days afterwards, as far as quality stuff goes. So that was felt today. But other than that, picked up my new pontoon boat, put my dock in the water, very exciting things on, put my pontoon in the water and then start snowing. Yep, sold it. Boat's gone. Left on Saturday, guys, in case you want an update. Good job. I'm proud of you. Happy for you. I sold this. Get this. This is another thing I need to tell people that I just feel like educating you on because I just learned this, is this guy, this boy, high school kid, he's 18, shows up with his dad to look at this boat, my bass boat, which is now gone. And he says he got recruited to go to college to be on their bass fishing team. He's going to Drury University. He's on scholarship, and he needs his own bass boat to go down to school with. So this kid's working for his dad all spring and summer to pay his dad back to, like, live the college dream. He went to the bass fishing combine where the coaches and scouts go there, and they're like, all right, cast into that red solo cup 20 yards away. Let's see your accuracy. All right, do this. And they got scouted and recruited from a bass fishing combine to go – Fish Division One bass fishing. That's his sport in which he's receiving compensation. That's wild. So anyways, I feel real good about giving this kid my bass boat. He's uh, he's going to put it to good use. Did you know that? that I mean, that's, that's the best case scenario right there. No, I did not know that. Me either. I had a teammate who went to Drury, Tony Lucas. Shout out, Tony. What about you? Anything real quick before we hop into the episode? That's all my reportings for the weekend. Oh, my, my interest is what shoes did you wear? I assume you went to Highland Ski Hill because every spring the the hills open up and I, I say, you know what? I'm going to start from square one this year with really minimal race shoes on my hill reps to really build up everything from the start. And then I get out there and I throw on my speed goats because I can't take the beating after like 10 minutes. That never works out. So what did you do? Tecton X, an old pair that, that I'm ready to retire because it's muddy and wet and and everything was soft going downhill because of the time of year. And I st- still, my mm. hips got beat up. So you don't need a minimal shoe to mess your hips up, Bracken. No. Do you like those on ski hill descents? Um, don't mind them. They feel pretty good descending. Yeah. You don't? Okay. I think I need a half size smaller in my tectons. I just can't get a good fit in them. Mine hug my arch nice in the middle of my foot. And so they don't shift too much. Yeah, mine don't. I think I need to go a half size down because I'm a half size up in most Hoka. And that one, apparently, I don't need to be. They're kind of roomy in the front, and I could see that then. 
compared to most. Yeah. They're the one of those shoes where everything about them I love the idea of, and I spend my entire run thinking about I'm unhappy with how these feel. Mm, I don't feel that way. I never stop thinking about them. One step. They're always bugging me. Mm. We don't have to spend much time on it, but I ran my first race of the year, Kirk DeWint. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. Just, just I did it. I ran a race. It was uh, the most relaxed race environment you could ever have. It's for John DeWitt's birthday. He hosts the Phil DeWitt Rock and Roll Invitational 800-meter dash every year. This is my second time going back to it. And it's been a... I think it's been almost two years since I have run even like an interval at the effort I tried to run at for that thing. So it's a half mile and you normally are on the track, but this year you were on the roads, right? I haven't been there now in like three years. Apparently the last two years they've switched to the roads. And heaven forbid you actually go a true 800 meters or a half mile as so I hear. Well, <laughs> he, he does John DeWitt fest for his birthday. It's a whole <laughs> weekend of just his specific things. There's nothing narcissistic about that, that at all. <laughs> no. Uh, especially since he organizes. <laughs> well, it's, it's just funny. It's not a monumentous like decade birthday. It's just like every year he holds like a John DeWitt fest. Every year. Every year. Yes, I think it's four or five years running. Uh, but this is, it's called The Loop. Anyone who ever runs one of his quality sessions with him, you do it on The Loop. So you run the John DeWitt Loop for a race, one lap. And it's 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 hilarious because who runs a road 800 and nobody also why would any adult race an 800 anymore but it's kind of like it's short enough that no matter what fitness you're in there's no reason really not to do it you might as well just show up and everyone's out of their element but john dewitt is also an olympic trials multiple time competitor and all his friend base are very accomplished runners so i think the last time i did it there were 12 maybe 10 runners there and i think seven or eight were all american it's a, it's a very specific sample size of who you get there. So the guy who won it had run 404 indoor at Boston University this year in a full mile. Um, okay, you got some ballers. So what? So it was like 760 meters or something? It was short? 52. 752. 752. Which then gives you an arbitrary time. So what was your time? I went 154.73. There's an uphill in the middle and then a downhill. So you just round up to 800 meters. So you're a 154 half miler. Yeah, basically. Yeah, we'll yeah call it easy. That. How'd it feel? I mean, it converts to a 202. 202. That's good. That's quick. Yeah. It felt phenomenal, Kirk. Honestly. it It's one of those things, I truly believe, that when you run the distance that you're made for, the pain isn't real pain. In the middle of it, I was very, like, right back to college, where you're just you're you're removed from it and you're just analyzing like you're watching gauges like okay discomfort's at 60 percent. this is hull hull is solid keep keep going all right back off one half you're up to 80 percent hull integrity let's keep going it was it was that it was you were aware of how uncomfortable it was but it was my kind of discomfort and so it felt normal whereas every other distance i run that's longer it's the whole time I'm thinking, can I even do this? But with this, I've done this type of thing so often. It just it felt like, all right, now you just do this and this and that's fine. And now now you get to start sprinting and maybe pull up like a half a notch because you're going to tie up early and you want to time it so you tie up at the line. It was just, it was like riding a very uncomfortable bike, but it was a bike I enjoyed. I didn't expect it. I thought I was going to have a horrific experience. 
And those were kind of pleasant. I liked it. Yeah, that sounds, uh, that would be dreadful for me because I know if I ran it to my potential, no matter what my fitness was, halfway through that, I'd be so far in over my head and it would be the longest following 60 to 70 seconds of my life. And it would be brutal. Well, that was the key. I knew that going in and I ran it accordingly. I got faster every 200 meters. My slowest split was my first 200. I was second to last through like the quarter. I, I made sure that I ramped into it. If I got out even like a millimeter over, I was going to die a terrible, terrible death. That would have been me too. I don't know how many people right now in of our age in our sport or our circle anyways can run 202 for a half. There's got to be a very select few. I don't know. I, I ran 29 flat my last 200 which is the fastest 200 I've probably run in three years. Yeah, that's legit. I was very, very proud of that. So it means nothing overall for fitness. What shoes did you wear? That's the real question. I wore the Adidas Takumi Sen 8. Mm, all right. Just a, a, a road racing flat. Yeah, yeah. With a little cushion. I don't know what I would have worn. It was a 15-foot downhill. You got to have a little cushion for these old legs. Probably still would have just worn my vapor flies or something, to be honest. The winner did. I don't want to show up and be that joker. <laughs> wearing super shoes for it, and then everyone had them on but i also don't have a super shoe that's made for fast all of mine are marathon super shoes even the alpha you could argue certainly isn't made for 800 meters i mean the vapor i don't want to come charging down a hill with a 90 degree turn at the bottom <laughs> in the alpha yeah you don't want to do that i went back and looked and down the hill john and i were running 319 pace so i i, I I don't think that Alpha's made for cornering at, at 319 pace. He's back, folks. That's all I'm getting out of this is he is back, fully back. You know what? If this was an indicator, uh -huh. I'll take it. But I, I can't help but feel this is not an indicator of anything. I don't think I would have run faster than what you ran. Maybe I would have run that, maybe. But I doubt it because I've not even touched that pacing in But what forever. does it mean? I don't know if it strokes your ego a little and it's fun. Yeah, it was fun. But if you had to predict for all other distances off of a one minute and 54 second of effort, <laughs> could you have any accuracy? I would say no. Well, that's great. You're back to it. I sense more racing in your future, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you a full look behind the curtains. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Kimono staying closed. Uh -huh. Although I'm going to say one thing about it. I sneezed yesterday. This is 24 hours later. And it felt like I had been hit by a truck the day before. My ribs, serratus, like chest cavity is so sore from gasping and sprinting downhill. So sore. Two minutes of effort. Less. And I feel like I did, I don't know, like a giant CrossFit workout and got in a car accident. I'm really, really sore through my trunk. I was worried about my calves, my soleus, my Achilles. It's my trunk. I don't know why, but that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't. It took me by surprise. Oh, that sort of expansion and contraction takes force at that effort. Yeah. It reminds me of when I did um, I did 500 pull-ups for time. It was one of those things Hunter had rolling around. and I think it was I did five pull-ups every 30 seconds, and I held it for the whole time. So it took me 49 minutes. I was under 50 seconds. But point being... Wow. I alternated between chin-up grip and neutral grip, so some could call it whatever. But I filmed the whole thing and then did a fast-forward thing just to prove. Cheating, yeah. Anyways, I thought I was going to be totally rep 
like messed up the next day or week. And I was. Without question, the most sore thing on my body was my entire core. My And I was doing a lot of ab work at the time because I was recruiting every absolute muscle fiber. And you don't realize how much your core is involved in a pull-up till you do 500 of them. Yes, my lats were mm-hmm. sore. Yes, my bicep head was sore. But the second most sore thing because I was trying to do a good job of going fully extended on the bottom so nobody harped on me for being for shitty form, the head of my tricep where it inserted into my elbow, mm-hmm. I couldn't use my arms for like five days because of my tricep, <laughs> which isn't in technically an active muscle in the pull-up. So it was my core and the head of my tricep on both arms. So there you go. Who knows what's going to mm-hmm. happen from these hero efforts is what I'm saying. Never know. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, downhill jarring, I never think my ribs. Mm. <laughs> but it was, I believe it. It was ribs. Still, right now, they're so tender. Let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, all right, so uh, this has been top of mind for me, and then I brought it up to you, Brack, and you're like, oh, yeah, we should definitely chat about this today. Um, for those of you out here, uh, if you're one of my athletes who race what I think is far too often, but it's just who you are and you won't change, and it's okay. I still love you. We... We're talking about how it can be difficult to program for the people who want to do everything, who want to race everything. Yeah, I want to run an ultra, and then next week I want to hop into a 5K road race. Or I'm going to do a marathon, but you know what? There's a deck of mile seven days later that I just got to do. And as a a coach, you smack yourself on the forehead, and you're like, there is in no way a chance you're going to perform your best at any of these things. But if you insist, I'll help you the best I can. I'm going to stand by that. If you're one of those people who want to do it all, you're never going to see your ceiling. However, this episode is for you, the person who wants to do it all. If you want to do it all, we're going to chat out our thoughts on how to best do that. Um, As we head into racing season, I have a few athletes who want to do it all. You have a few athletes that want to do it all, I assume, Bracken. Mm-hmm. So that's the topic of today. Yeah. So you want to do trying it trying to all. get rid of them, but I can't. <laughs> Too bad they're just like good people and you like them, you know? Yep. I have very, very specific views on this now, which to me feels ironic or almost fake sane because for, I feel like a decade, I could not lock down a view on this. I tried so many ways and what it comes down to is what I think most of us struggle with is when you're cramped for what you can get in, you try to still get it all in. And then it's impossible. Like the task is impossible if you're not willing to cut things out. Once you just decide, I am cutting things out, then the process really, really gets simple. And so I I fought it for like seven to 10 years of how can we get every little piece in and what capacity and how much of this and how much of that. And finally, I was like, forget it. What is the least amount we can do and still be good? And that was the first time I turned a corner with coaching myself or people through these moments, which is... If we say the perfect is gone, what can the good version of this be? And then you can build back towards perfect from there. But striving for perfection while having a dumb race schedule kills you. 100%. That's something uh, Cassie we talked to a couple weeks ago said, don't sacrifice, uh, don't give up on perfect for good. Or what was her saying? I agreed with it. I think she said, don't sacrifice the good for perfect, but, and I think I've heard this before is, uh, the perfect is the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. I don't mean to derail us, but I think this is important. 
right off the bat. Well, you always say something that triggers me, like a thought, and I don't want to move on because I'm not good enough to remember for later. So what is it? You said a dumb race schedule. What is a dumb race schedule? What's a dumb, like, what is like, what are you thinking sort of race schedule? Like, there's no way this can physiologically make sense for you to be your best at all of them. What would be that to you? An example you gave, an ultra and a deca strong. Or I want to PR my marathon and my road mile. Or I want to train for high rocks and I want to also do a 10K to the best of my ability. Where you combine things that don't necessarily line up. And even if you don't have hybrid racing in there, sticking to distances that don't align. I want to PR my 5K and I'm running my first 50K. Those kind of things. Or even a dumb schedule that's just, I have this race that really matters to me in June and I'm racing every weekend in May. Like, that's dumb. Wait, that's what I mean by a dumb schedule where your first reaction is, oh, that's dumb. <laughs> Obviously dumb. <laughs> that doesn't work. My least favorite is uh, somebody who has a long race, like a three-hour plus long race that they really care about. But four out of the five weekends leading up, they have races. Or five, four out of the six, it's like, we have no room for your long runs. We have no room for big efforts to really get the stimulus you need. And now we're racing our way into a race we're never going to be prepared for because you're racing too often before it to get the pro- appropriate work done, which I see a lot. It's like you got a 50K at the end of like a six-race stretch. It's going to go really bad compared to how good it could. That's my least. That's my dumbest schedule, I think, when I see. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to ask you about that. I do want to respond to that because in any field, when you have people who are being paid to steer your ship, they immediately fall under the scrutiny of anyone around you that you talk to about this. And anyone who is a controlling steerer of the ship is easy to ridicule and we do it ourselves when you see someone who takes over an athlete's strength training and immediately cuts out things that that athlete likes like did you have to do that like it's your way or the highway it's it's easy to ridicule that and the only time i feel like i catch myself falling into that overly controlling i feel that way when i have to tell someone they're racing too much Mm -hmm. because why do we do all of this because we enjoy it and we want to get most of us it's because we want to race not all of us but racing is why we train so why would i ever be that controlling coach who says you're just racing too much because there's a way around everything but yeah it's the worst possible scenario is when people race week after week after week after week building up to something they care about that's the hardest thing i think to deal with as a coach yeah i've uh, we don't need to go down any further than this but when i see it now i just i just <laughs> let it happen and just let it happen and then i hope that we build enough trust over the first six months to a year right i'm sure you're the same way that we can say okay now when we move into our sophomore year together maybe we could look at this just a little different just maybe but it's hard to do that right off the bat yeah that was my it is and that was my biggest struggle as a high school track coach was the insistence of the AD and the head track coach that all these dual meets and triangular meets happening twice per week mattered. Right. All right, we need to get points here, here, and here. It's like, oh my goodness, why? Why do high school sports exist? They exist to either get kids to college or give kids their last chance at sport. And hopefully... They're designed along personal development, confidence, physicality, all that stuff. 
High school sports don't exist to be the best at high school sports, yet that is immediately what it turns into. The worst thing for track and field, in my opinion, is putting a judging system of scoring for teams in high school. We need team points. No, you don't. You want this kid to enjoy track and hopefully get faster along the way. And the quickest way to ruin this all is have them race three times a week at these crappy little dual meets. And they have to run as hard as they can several times per race or per per meet several times per week. It was a constant nightmare. That was the worst part of high school coaching for me. It wasn't dealing with basketball parents or it wasn't dealing with officials. It was dealing with head coaches who wanted team points. Could see that. That's my end of my rant. No, that is a tough, uh, tough thing to deal with. I remember how often we raced in high school. I don't know how I did it. And then you'd squeeze in like a quality workout as well that week, but you had two races as well. And then you're like, oh my goodness. And at the, each of those meets, you race two or three times. It's like unbelievable. But kids are resilient, right? Make them or break them, Bracken. They are. Yep. <laughs> okay, so. Yeah, and that sucks that that's your choice. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was not literal, folks. Um, so you said you had some concrete thoughts on this. Or you finally have an opinion on um, yes, how do. to approach the you want to do everything. What is it? First decision point is, are you the type of person that needs to race all out every time you touch the start line? Okay. Or are you the type of person that is fully capable of running the race as a workout without compromising your future ability to get nasty on race day. Mm. That is decision point one for me because that determines everything we're going to do on the quality side. How are we approaching all these races? And this is more towards the person who's racing early and often. If their schedule is full of races, that's question number one to me. Mm. Um, Does this look like I'm holding a bottle of urine as a, Side question. Yeah, poorly hydrated year. Uh-huh. So I don't know if you notice, and I'll just admit to you guys. So I'm drinking my first Red Bull I've drank in, I'm going to say, years. Someone ended up – what are you drinking? Red Thunder? Okay. And I have Red Thunder, the Aldi <laughs> version. I'm trying to cut back on my uh, well, on my caffeine consumption, but obviously I'm failing. And it's too sweet for me. This is not a sugar-free. So I had half a water sitting here. And I started drinking my Red Bull, as you noticed, and mm-hmm. I can't do it. So I poured the rest of my Red Bull in my water, and now it looks like straight-up urine. Yeah. I, I go sugar-free. Okay. I don't want to alarm you as I'm drinking out of my water bottle is all I was saying, because this was going to be commented on as soon as I pulled it out. Oh, yeah. Much better. Because it's sanitary, and I like the taste. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what were you saying? <laughs> Question number one. If you're racing a lot, do you have to race it all out? Or are you cool not racing everything all out? So basically having a list of A races and saying, hey, are you okay with going into X, Y, and Z races with fatigue? We're taking a normal training week and that's just another Saturday this race, meaning like we're not going to, you're not going to plan to feel your best necessarily. Originally that was it. And now, no. Now it's not, do we come in with fatigue? It's how hard are we working? Are we working mentally? like a race so that you stay race sharp and tough or are you comfortable running this as a workout either way we're i'm dialing back what i do during the week okay it used to be can we come into it with fatigue and then go race as hard as you want but you're okay with a less than ideal result and now it's we're either racing all out and we're relatively fresh or we're treating it as a workout so it's it's a slight change of perspective but it's really how many big mental efforts 
do you have mm-hmm. and physical efforts rather than show up tired and still go after a big mental effort. That's the first thing I try to identify in an over racer. Uh, I think that's the key there more than the physical is the mental exertion more than what it does to you physically. I think mm-hmm. on a day where you're mentally ready to to hurt and dig, you can overcome a poor physical day. But if you're tapped mentally, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what, like you're not going to get through it. So more like emotional and mental energy, like how, how what your RPE is going to be out there more than anything. Yeah. And what that would look like for some athletes that I work with, just, just styles that I've used in the last season, let's say, if we're saying these first three races don't matter, then we're, we're treating them as a workout. And sometimes it's, you're going two minutes on two minutes off the entire race. Literally, this is a workout. Another is you have to be the last person across the line. And then you're trying to be efficient but like fartlicky getting your way up through the field and then you race hard from there on out or it's you have to take the first five minutes under aerobic threshold then you get to work or you're trying to negative split the whole thing or every climb you're doing 30 seconds on 30 seconds easy you know setting it up so that there are actual rules to the race so that you're not just like, how hard do I work or what's overworking? It's literal rules that you, we've agreed to follow if we're not going after a race. And if we're going after it, then you just, all the restrictor plates are off. You just get it. Yeah. I often use the term staying asleep. Like, okay, we're going to run, but you are going to stay asleep until the halfway point. Or you're going to stay asleep until... Yeah. The certain point, like trying to put a governor on them, like actually pretend you're enjoying it. If you had to stop and take a picture, you probably could until, you know, then I, I, the hope is it turns itself into a reasonable threshold effort when you hold back long enough in that yeah. race effort. And, and some people are going to hear that and say, is this just getting complicated for the sake of being complicated? This seems just, that seems like a bit much. You're, you're being too heavy handed. You're controlling how they're going to race. And the answer is no, it's necessary. Because mentally, if you go out to a race and say, we're just going to run this at 80%, we're going to do an 85% race here, that is going to be mentally destructive to most people's confidence because 85% effort in a race hurts. It is not comfortable. But if you're going thinking, I'm running this race and taking it easy, I've said this on here before, the expectation is that it will feel easier. But part of racing is you put your armor on. Like I said, for that 800, it was very unpleasant, but I expected it and knew it. I've said this piece before too, but if you would have dropped me right into that, like at the 600 meter mark, if you would have placed me from a normal day right into that feeling, I would have thought I was about to die and need to go to the hospital. But because I had the expectation of what it should feel like, it felt okay. You don't put all that same armor on when you go in with an 85% effort limiter on a race and as a result you get the full brunt of how uncomfortable a race is and the only way to change that is to change it to a a workout with specific rules because workouts hurt and we know that and we understand it but there are rules with it and so we put on the proper like bracing system the, the proper protective armor for that workout so that's why it's not overbearing to give very specific race instructions like that yeah, I can get on board with that. I think right now, so the the place you started with this is not necessarily the place I intended to go with the conversation, which is 
So you're racing too much. That is really what we're honing in on right now. You want to race all the time, right? Like that's this. Yeah, one side of the coin. But that's also part of the equation. You want to do everything. You're also going to be racing too much, most likely. Then the other side of the coin is you want to do everything as we outlined. You want to run a marathon and you have a a 5K trail race with 1,000 feet of gain in it in the same month. You want to do your Spartan race and you want to crush your local big 10K cities race. And it's like, and then there's 12 other things thrown in the mix. And then you have the other side of the coin, which is how do I get it all in to be as prepared as possible considering. And then I, this is where I have a very, um, very uh, firm way of looking at it much like you do now with the racing too much. And that is, you know, I think the biggest problem if you're trying to do it all and you want to race everything is that you try to cram everything into a week. We're stuck into this seven day cycle, this Monday through Sunday or this Sunday through Saturday or whatever you run your week on. And we try to cram everything in into like this, this micro cycle of our whole season, which would be a week. And if you think about how the body works, you think about physiology, you think about the the stimulus recovery adaptation cycle, you think about all that. If you're really one of those who are doing a lot of things, hybrid racing, OCR, trail, road, you got it all. Um, I think you need to expand your cycle to every 10 to 14 days. Because what happens is if you try to cram everything into a week, I'm going to do a compromised OCR run on Tuesday, and then Thursday, I'm going to go hit intervals on the road. And then and then Saturday, I'm going to go and hit some hard long run on the trails with bombing downhills. And then I'm going to do all of this every week to get ready for everything. One, you're never going to fully swing. You're going to eventually be a bit compromised with everything you do. Uh, and I mean that in the sense is which you're going to be like less effective at everything you do, not in the compromise running sense. And then you're not going to quite get the adaptation. And our bodies don't need stimulus every seven days necessarily to adapt. So what I think people need to do is expand out their cycle to 10 to 14 days. And that way, when you swing, you can actually swing appropriately and hard, give the proper recovery before you then go to your next stimulus. So forget the seven-day week, go to 10 to 14 days, and that means get it all in a right, don't cram it in, and then run yourself through that. Here's my road flat workout for the week or for the 10-day cycle. Here is my compromised workout and shitty terrain for the week. And here's my hybrid session or for the, the cycle. And you rotate them every three days, right? And you and you you stretch it out is what you do. And what I find is, are you ever going to reach your ceiling in any of them? No, you will not. I'm telling you this right now. But I think if you can allow the right stimulus and the right recovery by stretching out your cycle, you're going to get yourself most of the way there. So that's my first rule. If you want to do it all, stretch it out. I agree. I agree with that. And then my first rule with it generally, or maybe second, if we call that the first is that we give up on doing full workouts of everything. So if we wanted to PR the mile and the, and a 50 K a full mile workout might be your three to four by four by 400. Mm-hmm. And then a full marathon workout might be, or ultra marathon might be three by 5k. We're probably not going to try to hit that progression for both of those workouts throughout. We're going to say, what is the intended purpose of both and which one must I hit and which one can I chop down to skill work instead of 
the intended engine benefit. And so for me, right off the bat, I think we all, I, we both agree on this, is we prioritize the long work and we prioritize the stamina work. And we then turn the speed work into skill work. And it's, it's, it's minimum viable dose. The least we can do to still get the benefit. And then now that's not a huge workout. Now we can sprinkle that in somewhere as a beginner, as a finisher, or as a standalone, just easy, quick session somewhere in the week. But we maintain our engine work, our anaerobic and aerobic threshold work. I prioritize that because you can always race down in distance, but you can't go up. So immediately I try to cut the knees out from underneath the most costly work of the week that's not most related to both races at the same time. Be more specific. Like walk me through an actual um let's say let's use the let's use the example. I will. Well, I was going to say let's use the example of um let's use the example of running like a marathon to a 50k. You have an ultra, but you also have a bunch of shorter yeah. races on your calendar, whether they're OCR or they're road 5k's or whatever it is. So, why don't you walk us through what you mean there? Like a little more specifically. All right, so we want to run, let's say for me, one of my big mile workouts was 12 by 400. And I can slow it down and take shorter rest and turn it more into a 3K, 5K workout. 12 by 400 was always a big one for me. But when I want to do a 50K on the trails, I like doing longer reps and I need to do downhill work. And I like to get that 75 to 90 minutes total time on feet for my workout. So if I'm already doing that workout on let's say a Saturday running four by four by 400 or 12 by 400. Any of those workouts is really going to trash several of the same muscle groups that I'm also going to trash running really hard downhill. Mm -hmm. So I can't really sustain both of those workouts in the same week, week after week after week in a build. And so what I did specifically with those two workouts is I combined them. I'm going to hit my 75 to 90 minutes and I'm going to see how few 400s I can do to still feel like I did some work, but without detracting from the workout. So it's kind of like a extended stride session to start my workout out. So usually I would do like a two to three mile easy flow through the trail section and then start the hill workout. Instead, I did one mile easy and then I went four by 400 and then built up to six by 400 on the flat trails in front of the hill. And then I did two to three more reps uphill as my first climb of the day. So I ended up getting six to eight by 400 done in that day. But the last two to three were up my climb hill that was specific to my my ultra terrain, arrested my full recovery at the top, and then ripped my first downhill. And that kicked off my hill workout. And then from there, I, I would go kind of like aerobic threshold up and then flow down and then lactate threshold up and then flow down. But then I was into my long grindy hill workout. I did enough 400s to actually get the benefit of running fast, like v faster than VO2 max effort, but not so many that it was pointless to go grind out a 75 minute workout afterwards. So that's an example of combining the workouts rather than keeping them separate. So that would be option A for how to do that in my book. Makes perfect sense. And I like that. And that way, one doesn't necessarily take away from the other. One almost adds to the other in a way in which if you did that in reverse order, mm -hmm. I guarantee you that the up and downhill and then you decided to finish with the 400s, going to be a very different story. And 
And there's power to that too. Running fast will under fatigue. If that, if a race you, you have on your calendar calls for it, but in this circumstance, if you're looking to run short, fast races and long mountain races at the same time, you're not compromising your quality. And then you also get to go run up and downhill under a little bit of stress, but you're able to squeeze the most juice mm-hmm. out of both of those like uh, lemons. I, that's not a lemon situation. You get what I'm saying. Most bang for your buck. And without one taking away from the other. And I like that. There's some there's some lemons. Nobody wants lemon, lemon, lemons. And the other way I do it is I shorten the reps and make it standalone. Like I did this a few weeks ago. I did my first speedish session. I did 5 by 150 on Tuesday morning out in front of my house with walk back recovery. It's not a very long workout. But I was running. Really trying to impress the neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, my parents. <laughs> I'm sure they're impressed. It's it's a hundred. Oh, they they are so impressed with me, Kirk. <laughs> like look at our look at our thirty five year old son in his cute little split shorts up there <laughs> running up and down the street so fast. Uh-huh. Five by one thir- five by one fifty. That's not a lot of volume. No rep is long enough to take a beating. It's slightly uphill, so I'm really not impacting the ground as hard as I would if it were flat. And the workout's done. So I finished up, went downstairs, and did like a 35-minute easy run. Woke up the next morning as if I hadn't done anything the day before, but I have improved. It's not really disputable that you would improve doing that. Stride, your stride is going to be a little easier. Your ground contact time will be a little improved if you do that every single week. And then the next day, I was able to go and hit my 10 by 3 minute threshold session. It was just a precursor the day before the workout. It didn't cost me anything in recovery, but it was pure skill work. So that's another way of separating it, saying I'm not doing speed workouts, but I'm going to do some speed skill a day or two before my quality sessions. So, so far we have my suggestion of stretching your week out into, let's say, I really think nine to 14 days, 10 to 14 days to a week and a half to two weeks, stretching out your cycle Mm -hmm. or combining stimulus in a smart way playing chess with your quality work is what i'm hearing a little bit yeah Mm -hmm. well i have a third and i would do both yeah oh yeah and you can do both at the same time absolutely oh what i was gonna say is if i had 10 weeks to build up i would do the first five in a vacuum nine to, to 14 day cycle hit your workouts full workouts each doing their own thing every third day something like that and then as I got closer to the race, I'd move to big workouts of my specific longer grindier work and move the other, the skill spe- uh, piece to a skill piece and just make it a tack on or a precursor earlier in the week. And then after the race, go back to the other one and then switch mm-hmm. roles of that as the other style of race approaches. I think that's a good holistic way of approaching a season like that. Yeah, and that way the grooves is already been greased or the gre- groove has already been greased so to speak <laughs> whatever i just said greased. The groose, it's greased the groove that's, that's yeah. actually a more efficient way to say it. you've been greased meaning you're already ready to just <laughs> jump more into purposeful work because you've been <laughs> greasing the groove yeah. all along even though something else had your, <laughs> your focus you're good and greased um uh, my old college roommate matt Matt Gross or Gross listens once in a while. And Matt Gross. I think it's I think it's Gross. At least that's what we call him in college. But it looks like it'd be Gross. But anyways, that could be his little shtick. Um, is the power finishers? 
we're just going to say it. The power of finishers. Mm-hmm. And I know you, I'm not saying anything that I know you wouldn't say yourself, Bracken, here. But, and if you're one of my athletes listening, which I know most of you do, you will see on your plans often those who like to do everything have these nice little 10 minute finishers at the end of some of your recovery runs, even, or your midweek long runs, where it allows you to work the skill. Just like Bracken is talking about the skill of running 150 meter repeats, you very easily could work a skill specific to like hybrid racing or OCR after, let's say, a steady recovery run, or especially on the midweek long run, which is my favorite place to put finishers because it's got wiggle room for a little work that day. It's take a skill that your race requires coming up and go for it just as a finisher. You're already sweating. You're already in your clothes. You went out for a 60-minute run, and you get a 10-minute finisher. And maybe you're a high rocks athlete, and you cycle through AMRAP of – 20 wall balls, 20 dumbbell lunges, rinse and repeat because, you know, those two are your weaknesses. Or an AMRAP of 10 burpee broad jumps and 20 whatever it might be, and you cycle through for 10 minutes, and you get the skill work in, and you feel like it's not left out, and is it a big focus? No. But you remember, you're going to get that big workout focus every, let's say, 10 days where the whole workout's dedicated to it, and you go to the well on it. Then you grease the groove in that way. You grease it up in between. And so those finishers can be very powerful. Or you could be, like or you that. could be a high rocks athlete. That's your full focus, and so you do a big high rocks workout, and you're hitting mixed modality work, um, and then yeah, you just run a few four hundreds on the front end or the back of it, really clean with a lot of rest to get good biomechanical efficiency, um, and there you have it. It's uh, the finisher, the power of the finisher, and I know Bracken's a big believer of the finishers, but. Um, that can go a long ways to gruesome you. Yeah, the the finisher is the best way for someone who's not bought in. Like, I don't want to be a hybrid athlete. I'm a road runner, but I'm doing a deca fit with my buddies, or I'm doing a high rocks. Yeah, that's fine. We're not going to change your schedule at all. But finish up your run and let's do fifty wall balls for time. Let's finish up your long run and let's do five by one minute sled push. Don't worry, you're not a hybrid athlete. We're just doing this finisher. Think of it like doing a core circuit at the end. It's real easy for that, and it's easy for the busy athlete. I mean, it's good for a lot of others, but for those fringe athletes who are just like, I can't change my whole schedule. Ryan Kent opened my eyes to uh, how much of a finisher you can do and when to use it. When he came into town for uh, OCR Stars and he ran that mile, he's like, I got to go down to sea level. I'm going down to sea level. I have flight credit. I'm just going to do my mile while I'm at sea level. Uh, Milwaukee is at sea level, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, all right, you want to rabbit me for a mile? I said, sure. So we went down. He came into town. We went down and we did our, our warm up and ran a mile. And after a mile, you are trashed, right? You are just smoked. It's everything's uncomfortable, but you haven't done that much work. It's just so uncomfortable for foreign, for him, for in change, uh, that you're ready to be done for the day. And we sat around, talked for like 15 minutes, and we, I'm like, you're going to shake out? You're going to cool down a little bit? He's like, yeah, what's, what's your trail system like? I said, well, you can go this way for up to eight miles if you want. He said, let's go see. I'd like to get at least 70 minutes in. I was like, oh, okay. You're going to turn this into a medium long day with mm-hmm. quality at the front end. I like it. So we put on our shoes, and we just casually ran and chatted for 75 minutes. Got back. He's like, hey, will you do some uh, – 
I'm going to do some stuff on the field here. Are you in for that? I'm like, what are we going to do? He's like, well, I'm going to do some, some burpee broad jumps. And so it was a hundred burpee broad jumps at like 90% effort. And then I forgot if he did walking lunges or wall balls or what. And then that was it. And then we went back to the house and on the drive back, I was thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm really tired, but I'm not that beat up because we ran easy. And that's how I was feeling after the mile. I was really tired and I'm not that beat up. And we added in another 90 minutes of work and we were going to have to recover after the mile because our calves are going to get chewed up from running in spikes on the track. But if we're going to recover anyways, might as well add some stuff on. But I'd never had an add-on, never had a finisher like what Ryan Kent had me add on. He added on a midweek long run and sports-specific skill work at the end of it. And I walked away thinking, that's the difference right there between training and exercising. Mm-hmm. To, to him, I'm exercising. And to me, he is training. It was just eye-opening. It didn't cost that much effort. But he got so much more out of the day than I normally would have. The last time I mile time trialed, I found a track that was accessible that was as close to Highland Ski Hills as I could find. I drove to the track. I did my mile time trial. As soon as I could get my shoes off, I was in my truck, drove the 15 or 10 minutes to Highland, got up and finished out with 80 minutes of up and down the ski hill to do the exact same thing. And that is powerful. I was also surprised how tired my legs were for the climbing effort after an all out mile. I didn't think it would be, but the power was gone going uphill, which was interesting to me. But um, that's a good point, man. Yeah. Difference between training and exercise right there. That's training. Your boy was training. It really is the difference between training and pro-level training. Right. Well, I have one other suggestion that I want to make sure I get out there. Time always flies while we're recording these things. But um, I just think we're going to have a hard time filling an hour, and it's we always have to cut ourselves short. It's just a reoccurring problem. Um, Is uh, seasons of life, as I have spoken about on this podcast a little bit over the last years, like – there's seasons of life and maybe you're in a season where racing is your focus or isn't your focus. Well, or other things are going on with work or home. And so it's okay to not put all your eggs in one fitness basket. And I really believe that with, um, so you want to do everything as well, meaning like seasons of focus versus seasons of life, meaning just as you had outlined Bracken, like, okay, I know I care the most about this race. And I am going to go, all my training decisions are actually going to be based on this one race. And if I show up, I understand that my DecaFit isn't going to go great or my 5K on the roads when I'm training for a 50K mountain ultra. But that's okay. I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize. The, I like to race enough. That's why I race all the freaking time. And then after my ultra, my next focus might be a December hybrid race. And then... You switch phases, but the nice thing about that is that you never get sick of one thing. Right when you're about, I am over this ultra training, I am ready for something different, guess what? High rocks time, and then you get to shift focus and do something completely different, which can be super rejuvenating. And then you just treat those other races that don't fall in line with your your big A race as nice stimulus that maybe or maybe will not um, contribute to my overall A goal. But the point is, is that typically this keeps your attention span nicely if you go through different cycles of focus. So then you look at your calendar and you say, what's the most important to me? How can I work this out throughout my year so that my focus shifts and keeps me engaged? And let's be honest, endurance training can be a very monotonous grind. And so um, 
just acceptance. Just being like, this is my A race. This is my focus. I understand I like to race. I'm going to still race. But all my workout decisions are based on my A race, knowing that maybe I can go shift my training after that A race is done. And so that's also an acceptable option. It's a good way to keep forward momentum going um, and then just reinvigorate you if you know, you're sick of the grind for your one race, you get to switch modalities. So I like, I like that just, it really cleans it up for some people to make their decisions. So I suggest that as well from time to time. Yeah. I can't argue with any of that. I think my closing statement is, uh, reverting back to those athletes that we talked about first, when I derailed you of people who are just racing constantly. And that's the concept of balancing the equation. You're not trying to do too much during the week. You're taking a long-term vision. I'd like to get to the end of whatever this stretch of this season of life is with X, Y, and Z for my fitness. The races are taking care of X or Y. We're balancing the equation during the week with just one other session. You don't want to overdo it and cram too much. And I'm a believer now more than ever of getting the engine work in no matter how it presents itself to you. I used to be someone who I would say, okay, I have, I want to get five by six minutes of running in this week. I'm too sore Tuesday. I'll bump it to Wednesday. I'm too sore Wednesday. I'm going to bump it to Thursday and do three by six minutes because I've got a race Saturday. That's how I progress through it. And that's fine. But now it's like, I'm doing it Wednesday, no matter what. And if I'm too sore to run, I'm doing it on the bike in the rower. Or I'm doing three reps of the run and then I'm getting to the bike and the rower because I'm not trying to be as ready as possible for this week. I'm trying to be as ready as possible for 10 weeks from now without ruining this week. So through that that that, that scope of the year, I can't avoid doing this five by six minutes. I need to do it, but I can't trash my legs for this weekend either. So I need to do the bare minimum amount of running to not lose the efficiency through the actual act of running. But the engine work is non-negotiable. It has to happen. And I don't believe it matters where it happens if you're also balancing it with really great running workouts, which are your races that are happening. So that's been that that shift for me over the last few years. Yeah, I had that happen to an athlete last week, actually. Cut pushing things off a day, pushing things off a day, and suddenly it was like, I race in two days. And I haven't done this workout yet. And now what do I do it anymore? Now what do I do? You do a very scaled, tempered enthusiasm version, if at all. Um, I agree with that. And I also agree, like, dude, you're preaching with the uh, metabolic stimulus, even if it's not done running. Like, you would would assume this human is getting in run efficiency work enough outside the week that if a stimulus is shifted to another modality, you're still going to be plenty efficient with your running come race day or moving forward. So... I very much agree with that. Stay on schedule mm-hmm. instead of put it, pushing back stimulus. Mm-hmm. You probably had to do a little bit of that coming back from surgeries and stuff. Constantly. Yeah. That's all I've been doing. Right. And, and it, it manifested this weekend in that race in a way I've never had it before. That first really stingy, hyper anaerobic effort. There are a lot of efforts that are anaerobic. Running an 800-meter dash is like as hyper anaerobic as it gets for as long as you can sustain it for. Mm-hmm. It sets a chain reaction off in your throat and in your lungs that doesn't feel like anything else on this planet. Maybe running a mile indoor. But that track feeling, that first one of the year, is horrendous. And you've felt it, right? You know intimately that feeling. Well, I didn't get it too badly. I started to come up about like 10 minutes after the race, and then it went away as soon as I started jogging. 
And all I can point to is that I've done a, I've done several 2K time trials on the rower. And at the end of every one of those, I get that feeling in there. And so did the rower make me a faster, more efficient runner? No. But I was in a place where that overwhelming like lactate purge of your soul wasn't weird for me and it didn't affect me too badly. So I hadn't paired the two together, the running and that feeling, but my body handled it just fine. And I didn't set the world on fire in that race, but it doesn't matter. The effort level was enough that in the past I would have entered my death zone for about 30 minutes. And it didn't this time. And it was only because of the rower, which is a non-running specific motion. A running coach would not recommend that you row to get better at running. But because I was doing enough running and I hit some hyper anaerobic work on the rower, I could pair the two together decently well. Mm-hmm. Not my ceiling in either, but I didn't die. And that's important sometimes. <laughs> I think you did I think you did more than just not die out there. I think that's a pretty impressive seven hundred and fifty three meter effort, whatever it is. Um seven fifty seven fifty two. Uh, yeah. And there ain't much worse than a 2k time trial on the rower. The only thing I dread more than a 2k time trial on the rower is the 1515 test uphill. I mean, that's right in there. You don't think rowing's bad. Get a thousand meters. The mild time trial on the track. Get get a thousand meters into a true 2k time trial on the uh, rower. And you'll realize what exploding from the inside out feels like. It's good. It's good. Oh, yeah. Like 700 to 1200. Is just like that seven minute to 12 minute section of the 15 by 15 is just like lap three of the mile. It's like mile two of the 5k. It's that same feeling where you're far enough in that life sucks and you're far enough from the finish that you can't fathom finishing. Mm -hmm. Yep. We'll keep coming back for that suck too, won't we? Um, I'm happy with what we put out in the world here. I'm sure. Do you have any other last thoughts that you want to wedge in there? Concluders of sorts? No. Are you holding back on me? Kirk, we could just start over and say it all again differently and feel just as happy. There's just too much to always say. It's a sign of a good partnership. We'll leave each other wanting more. It's true. We gave a good starting point. At least get your wheels turning as to how to program for yourself, which will also be a topic we will have coming up is when you're self-coached. And I was just thinking as we were talking, Bracken, that maybe, you know, we, we've been trying to do our best to do a few episodes here and there for in the, quote, slower runners, right? Um, and and mm-hmm. I want to continue doing that. And we also pay a lot of service to the people who like to race a lot and do everything. And the opposite side of this coin is I want to train, but I really don't race very often. The opposite side, talking that out. Mm-hmm. So I don't like to race often. Uh, what we think you should do then. Maybe we need to have a balance to this episode next week or coming up and you know what's funny Hmm. is those aren't as dissimilar as they seem they're not exactly because if you race too often you can't do too much work or you don't make it through the season and if you almost never race and all you do is train you can't do too much intensity or you're just going to burn out on training in life they're not as dissimilar as they seem 100 percent Maybe we do that. We'll see. We'll talk it out. But we got a few. We got a few in our chamber. We got coming up that are going to be good ones for you guys. That's right. Buy buy the shirts, folks. Buy the shirts. Get them out of here. You're gonna love them. You're gonna love them. That's all I got. You're gonna like the way you look. I guarantee it. And we'll be hearing from their lawyers. <laughs>
Are we open to lawsuit on using a tagline like that? Probably not. Can you use the men's warehouse slogan? I guess we'll find out. That's right. We'll find out if George listens or not. Thank you.